Hey, what's up everybody? This is Austin Haynes with the Waking Justice Project, and this is your daily wake-up call. Today is November 5th, 2019, and we thought we'd do something different today. We're resharing our very first podcast in case you missed it before. We call it our manifesto episode. It explains the mission of the Waking Justice Project and a whole lot more. There's a lot of important information in there, so please let us know what you think. We're also sharing a new PDF that's a sort of companion guide for the first podcast. And it gives all the references for all our core claims in case you want to research those later yourself. There's a link to the PDF in the show notes below, or you can find it on our website at wakingjustice.org. It'll be posted in the article for this podcast today. All right, y'all, here goes. Here's our first podcast that we call our Waking Justice Manifesto. The Waking Justice Project is a grassroots effort to encourage understanding across all causes of global justice that ultimately we're all fighting the same fight. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of the Waking Justice Podcast. My name is Austin Haynes. Not only is this our first podcast, but it's also a very important one, because today we're going to take the time to answer the three major questions you all may be wondering. What is the Waking Justice Project? How did it come to be? And why is the message so urgent? To answer these three questions, we're going to hear from the founder and director of the Waking Justice Campaign, Mr. Paul Barry. But first, I want to give a brief introduction to myself and some backstory as to how I got involved in this life-changing project. As I said before, my name is Austin Haynes, and I'm a writer, podcast producer, and co-host for the Waking Justice Project. I'm also a socially conscious hip-hop artist, and for years I've been obsessed with how to infuse my music with the knowledge, power, and activism that our current world seems to be in dire need of. I'm really just a regular guy, though. And most of the change I've been seeking in the world so far has happened on a personal level. I try to stay up to date on recycling, climate change, politics, environmentalism, and eating and living healthy. But I wasn't always like this, and my journey to where I am now has been a rocky one to say the least. But over the past few years I've started seeing some common threads within my friend group, my community, and the extended world around us. These trends are simple and pretty recognizable. And I'm willing to bet you've noticed some similar trends as well. So what are they? People around the world are pissed off. We feel used, we feel abused, and we feel like we've been lied to. We see our environment crumbling with deforestation and species extinction wreaking havoc on our world. We see mass incarceration and the war on drugs tear our friends and families apart. We see pharmaceutical companies making billions by keeping us sick, addicted, and barely alive. We see police brutality live and as clear as day on a regular basis now as citizens film officers abuse power 
attack, and sometimes kill the very citizens they were sworn to protect. We are witnessing black and brown women and men grow increasingly fearful as they worry deeply about the safety and well-being of their own lives and the lives of their children. We are also living in a time when many of us scrape to get by as wealth inequality reaches record highs. So let's take a deep breath right now and get back to what Waking Justice is and how we aim to approach these problems and connect the dots. Let's let Paul Barry take us through what the Waking Justice Project identifies as the four main global justice issues of public concern, social justice, democratic justice, environmental justice, and animal justice. The Waking Justice Project is a grassroots effort to encourage understanding across all causes of global justice that ultimately we're all fighting the same fight. Unfortunately, we're not unified and fighting it together. And that's why all our causes are losing progress. If you doubt that, just consider the following trends. In social justice, wealth inequality in the U.S. is now higher than in any other society at any time in the past anywhere in the world. A staggering four out of five Americans are now facing poverty. Since the war on drugs began, the Defense Department has transferred over $5 billion in tactical weaponry to local and state police. Fatal shootings by police have more than doubled. And the war on drugs has exploded the for-profit prison industry. There's been a 1,000% increase in the number of Americans in prison for minor offenses. No other society in human history has ever imprisoned so many of its own citizens. Skyrocketing health care costs have risen at twice the rate of real wages and three times the rate of inflation. The leading culprit? Price hikes by Big Pharma. In environmental justice and animal justice, according to scientists, climate change is now escalating into runaway scenarios. Even as the two biggest climate polluters, big oil and big meat and dairy, continue to increase global production. Big meat and dairy is the leading driver of the sixth great mass extinction of species that's now underway. We're now losing up to 200 species of wildlife every day, and meat and dairy consumption is the leading cause. And in democratic justice, a recent Princeton study revealed that corporate elites dominate U.S. public policy, where now the average American voter has, quote, a near-zero statistically non-significant impact on public policy. And when corporate elites want to defeat a new policy, there's a 100% chance they'll get their way. As Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Chris Hedges has said, the corporate coup d'etat of our democracy is now complete. A corporate plutocracy now controls all levers of democratic reform and all major media in the U.S. Most folks know that just six big companies own 90% of America's mainstream media. But what most folks don't know is that the controlling shares of those six big media companies are owned by just a handful of multinational investment companies. And get this, these investment companies also own controlling shares in most all the major companies across all major industries, including big banks, big oil, big defense, big meat and dairy, big pharma, big chemical, and big media. 
Further, a respected Swiss study of multinational corporations showed that the major companies across all those industries are all variously invested in each other's success. They own each other's stocks, and they appoint their people to each other's boards of directors. Taken together, the two studies confirm that over the past 40 years, America's social system has been transformed from a representative democracy to a corporate plutocracy, or what some refer to as a corporatocracy. The Democrat and Republican parties are nothing more than the right and left wings of this corporatocracy, and the two main parties have the full-throated support of the corporate media. Their ongoing political theater baits us into perpetual distraction. By design, it divides us against each other and against our own collective self-interest. Deep down, we all know it's true. In the West, the U.S. has the highest voter apathy among major democracies, and the U.S. is ranked dead last in election integrity among all major democracies. As Jimmy Dore says, A lot of people are afraid of Donald Trump, but Trump is not the problem. He's a symptom of the problem. Even Trump's own people see through him now. He tries to distract them with punchy tweets and fake patriotism, but they're seeing what he's doing while he thinks they're not looking. Trump promised he wouldn't get us into more wars, but he's now trying to lie us into two new wars with Venezuela and with Iran. And everybody knows that these wars are about stealing oil for the big oil companies and nothing more. Trump promised to end corporate welfare. He was going to drain the swamp. But his new tax bill just gave huge tax breaks to wealthy elites and major corporations. Even Fortune magazine admits Trump just pulled off the greatest transfer of wealth from the working class to wealthy elites in modern history. And do you know who held that record before Donald Trump? Barack Obama. All right, all right, hold up for a minute. Here's the deal. We all know Trump's a billionaire, so therefore he holds the interests of a billionaire. But to a lot of people, Obama's a hero of sorts. When he was elected, I lived in San Francisco. The streets erupted in celebration. We didn't think it could happen, but the U.S. elected our first black president. I was optimistic and ecstatic, but I also didn't yet study politics closely enough to understand the inside agenda a person must have to not only be elected to the presidency, but to have any backing at all from corporate elites. But this is something I would come to understand more in the next eight years. Through his big bank bailouts, Obama transferred more wealth from the working class to the top 1% in U.S. history. You think that was a fluke? 30 days before his election, Obama's entire cabinet was designed by Wall Street insiders. You can Google it. Just like Trump is doing, Obama and the corporate Democrats play their supporters for chumps. Obama had the power, money, legislative tools, and political leverage to stop the foreclosure crisis, but he simply chose not to use it and his housing policies led directly to millions of families losing their homes. Poverty hit record rates under Obama, and he destroyed black wealth. As Tavis Smiley observed, under Obama, blacks lost ground in every major economic category. Obama ran on a promise to create, quote, a new era of open government. But once in office, he suspended habeas corpus and even extended the powers of the presidency to assassinate U.S. citizens without due process. Obama was ruthless on whistleblowers, too. He prosecuted more whistleblowers than all other presidents combined. What about war? 
Obama had promised to end warmongering, but by the end of his term, he'd expanded military special operations by a staggering 130% over the Bush administration. Obama conducted 10 times more drone strikes than Bush as well. And in all those drone strikes, about a third of the people killed were civilians, including women and children. Obama claimed, quote, climate change is the greatest threat to our future, but his fight on climate change was feeble at best. His performance at international climate negotiations was dismal. Most telling of all, Obama oversaw the greatest oil boom in our nation's history. He increased U.S. crude oil production by 70%. Most folks consider Obamacare his signature achievement, and a lot of folks have been helped by that program. But insiders across the political spectrum agree. Obamacare is the biggest insurance scam in U.S. history. Health insurance companies are scoring windfall profits. And with Obamacare, Obama gave Big Pharma sweeping deregulations that allow price fixing on medicines. As a result, we now have far and away the highest cost health care of all developed countries. Style points aside, Obama was a con man just like Trump. As Chris Hedges says, the difference between Obama and Trump is how you want corporate fascism delivered to you. Do you want it delivered by a Harvard-educated, handsome and hip Goldman Sachs companion? Or do you want it delivered by a racist, sexist, xenophobic, fake Christian billionaire? And that's just Obama and Trump. You can go back 50 years through every previous administration, Democrat or Republican. The patterns are the same. Trump, Obama, Bush, Clinton, Reagan, Nixon, all waged wars for oil, all increased corporate welfare, and all transferred more and more wealth from the working class to the wealthiest elites. And while corporate profits have soared to historic heights, real wages for working class Americans have remained stagnant. We now have the greatest wealth inequality of any nation in history. Every four years, every one of those presidents ran on the promise of ending all those trends. Yet every single one instead contributed significantly to those trends. And every election, we fall for it every single time. And with every administration, it only gets worse. As scholar Noam Chomsky has said, Concentration of wealth yields concentration of political power, and concentration of political power yields legislation that increases and accelerates the cycle. So how did we let our democracy get stolen right out from under us, and by a pack of sociopaths who deliver us a disease-for-profit food system that keeps us sick and profitable, who bait us into perpetual infighting with racism and sexism? who are pushing our planet to the brink of social and ecological collapse, how did we let this happen? As poet rocker David Bowie put it, quote, I'll ruin everything you are. I'll give you television, and I'll give you men who want to rule the world. Okay, so what's going on with our mass media these days? Well, traditionally, the role of the media, or as it used to be called, the free press, was to act as a watchdog over government corruption. But back in the 80s and 90s, both Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton dismantled the free press and they transformed journalism into a commodity that could be bought and sold and used to profit power. 
As Hitler's minister of propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, once said, Let me control the mass media and I will turn any nation into a herd of pigs. No disrespect to pigs, but you get his point. Ironically, Goebbels was hugely inspired by the work of American marketing guru Edward Bernays. Bernays was the nephew of psychiatrist Sigmund Freud. He used Freud's theories about the subconscious to form his own theories about mass marketing. Bernays is considered the architect of America's corporate propaganda machine. He ended up working with the CIA to promote the corporate war machine to, quote, make the world safe for democracy. Bernays was a sort of evil genius. You read his books and he reads like a fucking sociopath. Here's a quote from his most popular book, Propaganda. Quote, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. In our social conduct or our ethical thinking, we are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested by a small ruling elite who understand the mental processes of the masses. It is this small ruling elite who pull the wires which control the public mind, unquote. Under the control of the corporatocracy, the mass media has been perverted into a mechanism for consolidating social control. So let's do a quick recap. What Paul has just broken down for us is that our democracy has been hijacked by the interests of corporate elites. And not only that, but these corporate interests lobby our politicians to control almost all the laws that get passed on a national and state level. That means that these laws are not in the interest of you and I, but yet in the interest of big banks, big pharma, big ag, big oil, big defense, etc. And as if that's not enough, they have also infiltrated what used to be the free press and transformed it into what we now recognize as big media. Through big media, the corporatocracy divides us with MSNBC on one side and Fox News on the other side. Because with a nation divided, it's much easier to continue spreading the interest of those already in power. We no longer live in a representative democracy that serves we the people, but instead we live in a corporate plutocracy. We're sort of like farmed animals whose lives are manipulated by big meat and dairy for maximum production and profit. But within our current plutocracy, we the people are the commodities. And our interests and desires are bought, sold, and shaped for maximum profitability. And our attitudes and worldviews are molded for optimal social control. Another primary tool of social control is the food system. As Henry Kissinger famously said, quote, Control the food, control the people. Like Bernays, Kissinger is a sort of evil genius as well. Kissinger believes that the greatest threat to corporate capitalism is developing countries in the Middle East and Global South, those that tend toward nationalization of their natural resources. On behalf of corporations, Kissinger wanted to ensure cheap and easy access to those resources. So Kissinger calculated that a monopoly of the global grain supply would provide U.S. corporations huge leverage with those developing countries. He helped corporations gain control of 95% of global grain reserves. Under threat of embargo, Kissinger used the grain monopoly to force third world leaders to the bargaining table with U.S. corporations. The global grain supply is also strategic to social control at home in the U.S. About 70% of grain produced in the U.S. is used to feed farmed animals for meat and dairy production. 
Keeping grain supply cheap for big meat and dairy is strategic to social control for the corporatocracy, but probably not for the reasons you might think. Remember, the corporatocracy operates like a huge cartel. All the big companies are all mutually invested in each other's financial success. And big meat and dairy is crucial to their mutual success. Check this out. Recall that 18 of the top 20 big pharma products sold worldwide are medicines that treat diseases associated with animal-based foods. Americans spend about two and a half times more on healthcare than citizens of all other developed countries. And it's primarily due to price fixing by big pharma. Healthcare revenues in the U.S. now make up almost 20% of the annual GDP. It means U.S. healthcare revenues are around $4 trillion a year. That's huge. The U.S. healthcare industry alone surpasses the entire annual GDP of Japan, which is the third largest national economy in the world. And that's just how big meat and dairy profits big pharma. Meat and dairy production is a boon for big chemical as well. Big Chemical provides all the hormones and antibiotics for farmed animals and all the synthetic pesticides and fertilizers to grow the massive amount of feed crops for farmed animals. And it goes deeper. Big Pharma and Big Chemical are huge customers of Big Oil. Petrochemicals from Big Oil are the building blocks that Big Pharma uses to make its pharmaceuticals. Plus, Big Oil supplies all the petrochemicals that Big Chemical needs to produce its synthetic pesticides and fertilizers for meat and dairy production. You see how they all rely on each other? But it goes deeper still. While a primary demand for big oil is driven by big pharma and big chemical via meat and dairy consumption and production, big banks rely on the sale of all this oil in US dollars to keep the dollar strong. It's called the petrodollar system, where global oil sales in US dollars prop up the value of the US dollar. And if any oil producing countries in the Middle East or Global South refuse to sell their oil in US dollars, then the corporatocracy gets big defense involved. Every war since the mid-80s has been fought to force the sale of oil in U.S. dollars. The pending wars in Venezuela and Iran are exactly that as well. So if you follow the money and map out this rationale, here's what the corporatocracy doesn't want you to know about its disease-for-profit food system. Meat and dairy consumption and production drive massive consumer demand and trillions in revenues for Big Pharma and Big Chemical. In turn, Big Pharma and Big Chemical drive massive demand and trillions in revenues for Big Oil. The sale of Big Oil in U.S. dollars ensures trillions in profits for big banks through the petrodollar system. And the ongoing enforcement of the petrodollar system drives trillions in profits for big defense from the trillions of land and marine animals brutalized and slaughtered every year for big meat and dairy production, to the tens of millions of people who suffer disease and death by meat and dairy consumption, to the billions in wildlife populations lost to deforestation by meat and dairy production, and to environmental pollution by big chemical, to the millions of people killed by big defense to protect the petrodollar system for big banks. We feel a more appropriate term for this corporatocracy is the kiltocracy. Its profits can be measured by our suffering, death, and destruction. It's all connected. The kiltocracy is one big interdependent network of major corporations across all major industries, all mutually invested and mutually reliant on each other's continual success, and all at the expense of pretty much all life on Earth.
As the research has shown, this kiltocracy wields virtually unlimited power over our once representative democracy. Knowing what we now know, it is beyond delusional to think that we can ever vote this kiltocracy out of power. It wields complete control over the political system. We have got to wake up. We've got to understand the full ramifications of what it means to be ruled by a fully functioning corporate plutocracy. The only real power the underclass has in a consumer-based plutocracy is how we combine our economic activism. Throughout modern history, organized economic activism is the only public will that has ever effectively challenged such entrenched and moneyed power. It was Gandhi's salt and textile boycotts that ultimately forced Britain to grant India's independence. It was the mass sit-ins, pickets, and strikes of the 1930s when workers finally forced big business to adopt the 40-hour work week, a standard minimum wage, overtime pay, disability pay, and unemployment insurance. It was the mass boycotts, the restaurant sit-ins, and worker strikes by black Americans that helped clinch civil rights reforms in the 1960s. It was mass boycotts that finally won safety reforms and economic justice for migrant farm workers in the 60s and 70s. And it was the mass divestment protests in the 1980s that helped finally end apartheid in South Africa. So the shared ownership across the kiltocracy may be its greatest strength, but it's also its greatest weakness. If one industry suffers, they all buckle, and they all know it. That's why combined economic activism is our best and only real leverage in this corporate plutocracy. We're not saying don't vote. We're saying we must combine our voting with mass economic activism to hold this kiltocracy and its political shills accountable. We're also saying that building solidarity around economic activism must become all our priority work going forward. As mentioned before, the major industries of the kiltocracy are big banks, big oil, big defense, big media, big meat and dairy, big pharma, and big chemical. We may not be able to use consumer boycott to directly impact big oil, big defense, big chemical, or big banks, but there are two industries that are particularly vulnerable to consumer boycott and most strategic to the urgent crises we face, big media and big meat and dairy. Meat and dairy-based foods are the foundation of the kiltocracy's disease-for-profit food system. The consumption of meat and dairy foods is the number one cofactor in heart disease, various cancers, diabetes, and stroke. 18 of the top 20 big pharma products sold worldwide are medicines that treat diseases associated with animal-based foods. Big meat and dairy is also a leading driver of climate change, and it's the only accessible solution to near-term climate change. Plus, it's the number one cause of global deforestation and the mass extinction of species that's now underway. In developed countries, a mass consumer boycott of animal-based foods would cripple big meat and dairy, and big pharma and big chemical would buckle soon after, forcing the elites of the kiltocracy to the people's bargaining table with an urgency commensurate to the social and ecological crises we now face together. 
going further, a mass boycott of meat and dairy products coupled with a mass boycott of local raised produce would boost local farmers, empower and diversify local food economy, help eliminate food deserts, create good green jobs, improve the health of local citizens, and help massively to reduce near-term climate change and mass species extinction. And regarding big media, a mass boycott of all corporate media outlets would effectively muzzle the kiltocracy and render its propaganda impotent. And a mass boycott of big media coupled with a mass boycott of independent non-corporate journalists who cover and promote our just revolt would hasten an awakening of the public to its vast potential power for global justice. Of course, it'll take a lot of us working together across all sectors of global justice to achieve meaningful scale in this combined economic activism. And to be clear, we're not under any illusion that mass organizing across all sectors of global justice won't present unprecedented challenges. We get it. But we're also clear that we're out of time and we're out of options. Combined economic activism against big media and big meat and dairy is the most accessible and effective path forward for global justice. So we have to begin reaching out in our communities to other causes for justice and begin building alliances and strategic solidarity. That is the crucial work that we're trying to help get started in this first phase of the Waking Justice Project. In the second phase of the Waking Justice Project, we aim to help build the beginnings of an alternative new economy, one that is truly democratic, just, equitable, and sustainable. Remember, it was war criminal Henry Kissinger who advised the kiltocracy, control the food, control the people. Well, we believe the first precept in a just and equitable new economy is free the food, free the people. That's why we want to help invest in new models of local food economy, models that rely on sustainable agriculture and equitable community-based food distribution systems. We believe that building a sustainable community-based food economy is the first crucial step toward a new, truly democratic society that promotes liberty and justice for all life on Earth. If you have any interest in joining us on any aspects of this work, as a project partner or investor, or training with us as an affiliate speaker or community organizer, or if you have interest in sustainable agriculture and helping build local food economy, please email us at info at wakingjustice.org. We would look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. All right, y'all, that was Paul Barry, the director of Waking Justice. And that does it for the first episode of the Waking Justice podcast. Thank you so much for making it to the end with us. I hope this gives everybody an explanation as to who we are, how we came to be, and why this is such an urgent message. We would love to hear from you and have you involved. Once again, to contact us or learn more, please visit wakingjustice.org. My name is Austin Haynes, and I look forward to connecting with you next time. Peace. Justice is rising and it ain't just us, it's all of us. If it's my love.